right, let's uh, turn to the book of Isaiah. Book of Isaiah chapter 7, and we'll be looking at the passage that has to do with the prophecy of Emmanuel, that a uh, virgin uh, would give birth to a child and his name would be Emmanuel. I wanted uh, for us to just pause for a second and, and uh, recapture the historical background to this passage. Um, it has to do with kings with names like Pekah and Remaliah um, and, and, you know, those kinds of Bible names. Do you want to admit with me that you would probably read the Old Testament more if the kings were named Bob, <laughs> Jem, you know, Joe, something like that? I mean, the, the, but these are the names. And here, what's happening here is that the Jews, God's chosen people, have divided into two kingdoms. There's a kingdom in the south and a kingdom in the north, which makes a lot of sense. And so the kingdom in the south is called Judah, and the kingdom in the north is called Israel. Now, this takes place about 700 years before Christ is born. Assyria, Assyria, is the world empire. They're the ones who are in charge of everything. They, they dominate the scene. And all these smaller countries like Judah and like Israel, and then there's another nation called Syria, not Assyria, but Syria, uh, just to the north of Israel, and these nations are sort of um, in servitude to Assyria. So Assyria is like the evil empire, and the resistance exists in the... Um, hey, look, I just went to Disney. But uh, that was sick. Dave says that was sick. Okay. All right. Anyway, the evil empire of Assyria dominates all these little, little countries. Now, what happens is that inside of Assyria, the empire, uh, the, the king dies, and so there's a lot of unrest as they're fighting amongst themselves as to who's going to control the government, who's going to control the empire. And so Assyria doesn't have time to pay attention to the uh, other little countries that they've been dominating so long. And as a consequence of that, uh, nations like Syria and Israel decide this would be a good time to break away from the evil empire Assyria. We can, we can be freed countries now. But in order to do that, they need just a little bit more help. And so they go to Egypt and they say, Egypt, you know, will, will you help us out? So now you have an alliance. Are you following me on this? It's not, it's not a soap opera. It's just, you know. But uh, so you have this, this alliance with Israel, Syria, and Egypt against Assyria. Now, they're trying to build this alliance to be as big as possible, so they go to Judah, whose king is Ahaz, otherwise known as Bob. And so they go to Bob, and they say, look, why don't you join us in our rebellion against the evil Assyrian empire? And Ahaz, in concert with, with what uh, uh, Isaiah is telling him, says, no, that's not what God wants us to do. So we're not going to do that. We're not going to join you in the rebellion. Well, Israel and Syria decide that they're going to attack Jerusalem, Judah, in order to make Judah join their alliance. You got this now? So that's just a long way of saying King Ahaz is in Jerusalem and he's got two countries attacking him at the same time and he's pretty sure he's going to lose. It looks, looks for all the world 
like his uh, uh, capital is going to be uh, captured. He's going to be taken off the throne. They're going to put somebody else on the throne who will go along with their, um, uh, their alliance against the evil empire Assyria. Now, in that context, Isaiah goes to Ahaz and says, look, you don't need to worry about it. Because it turns out, God's got this covered. You might be looking at the Assyrians or the Syrians or the uh, people in Israel, and you, you're looking at their armies like they're just this, this mighty forest of trees of strength and power. But in point of fact, God's going to mow them down. He's, he's just going to cut them all down, and uh, you're, you're going to be fine. And then uh, Isaiah says, Ahaz, I know this is hard to believe. I know it's hard to take. But why don't you just ask for a sign? Just Whatever you want it to be, God will do whatever you ask to prove to you that he's got this under control and that, it, and, and, and that he's going to win the battle for you. And Ahaz says, far be it for me to ask a sign from God. Um, and you can read that kind of as um, really humble or faithful. You can also read that as in, I don't think God's going to do it anyway. You read it the way you want. But basically he says, no, I'm not going to ask for a sign. God told me to ask for a sign. I'm not going to do it. And at that point then, God gives him a sign. He says, you, don't, you won't ask for one. I'll give you a sign. And here's what it is. A virgin will conceive. She'll give birth. And that little boy you're going to call Emmanuel. And Emmanuel means God with us. And before he's old enough to know the difference between right and wrong, which in Jewish tradition is about 12 years of age, the age of bar mitzvah, it says before he's old enough to know the difference between right and wrong, this whole thing's going to be settled. The, it, your enemies will be put to flight. They'll be gone. And this little boy, he's going to eat curds and honey. All little boys like curds and honey. And, uh, but, but that's food that you eat not when you're under siege, that's when you eat bread and water. That's food that you eat when everything's going well and you're prospering. He says, and this is what I'm going to do. And so every time you look at this little boy, Emmanuel, you're going to be reminded, God's here, he's working, and he's going to win the victory for us. Now that's the meaning of the prophecy in the narrow confines of Ahaz's life. It, it's to help him navigate his way through a time of, of attack when these other countries are attacking him. But as so often in biblical prophecy, the prophecy will have an application in the immediate day, in, in the day in which it is given, because you know people as they read it has to make sense to them somehow. So a lot of times it'll have an application in that day. But God has a bigger application in mind later on. It's sort of, the way scholars try to help us understand that is uh, the prophets were sort of like looking at a mountain range from a distance. And as they look at that mountain range from a distance, they, they see maybe one high peak of a mountain, maybe two or so. But they see basically one big thing out there, one mountain, and, and they prophesy that, and, and it gets people going on the track towards the mountain range. But when you get there, it turns out that there's hills and there's valleys, there's texture, there's there's crags, you know, all, all those kinds of things. And so there's much more going on than even the prophet understood. And that's what's happening here. Isaiah gave a prophecy with an immediate application to the life of Ahaz. 
boy will be born before he reaches 12 years of age, things are going to be settled. But it also has a bigger application. A child will be born to a virgin, and his name will be Emmanuel. See, God did a lot of that kind of thing. Um, you remember when, when uh, uh, Israel needed a king. Uh, king Saul had sort of blown the kingship thing, and Israel needed a king. God raised up David to be the king. He wasn't the, the, the person you would normally choose. Uh, God didn't go to some royal family. He went to the family of Jesse. What do you know about Jesse? Nothing. <laughs> it's okay to know nothing. There's not much to know. All we know that is that God chose the house of Jesse, and Jesse had, a, had a, a, a house full of boys, and God bypassed all the older boys, and he went to the youngest and the, and the least noticeable, and he said, this, this guy here, this, this guy David, he's going to be the king of Israel. And not only that, his throne, the throne of David, is going to last forever. Well, God was pointing to something deep. At first, he was saying, this King David, he's my king, and uh, um, I, I'm really invested in who he is, and I'm going to guarantee his, his, uh, his, his continuation. But even more than that, there's something called the throne of David upon which Messiah sits. And so the fulfillment of a prophecy of the present had a fulfillment even deeper and more profound in the future. In the book of Judges, God kept sending people to save uh, the, the, the land. Um, and you remember the book of Judges. This is where the, the children of Israel would sin against God, and as a result, God would allow a nation from outside to come in and dominate the people and put them in servitude. They would cry out say, God, we're really, really sorry we sinned, and God would say, that's great. And so he would send a person called a judge. It was a, a leader who would lead the people in driving out the occupying power. People would say, this is really wonderful. That's, that's really great. And then they would sin again, and another power would come in. They'd be, they'd be subjugated again. God would raise up another judge who would come in and drive the people out. God kept raising up people to save his chosen children of Israel. That's the way he operated in the book of Judges. In, in, in the book of Exodus, the children of Israel are enslaved in Egypt. And, and for 400, 430 years, depending, um, they, they're crying out to God. Now, we, we want deliverance. And so God raises up a person, raises up a man, raises up a Moses who delivers them from their bondage. And so there's, there's all these pictures of how God raises up a man for the purpose of saving his people. But ultimately... This prophecy that God would give you a child and his name will be Emmanuel and every time you see him you'll be reminded that God is with us is ultimately fulfilled in the deepest, most profound way in Jesus Christ. And we know that because when Joseph was wondering what to do with Mary because they were engaged and Mary was found to be with child and Joseph could do the logic as well as anybody else, he said, well, I've just got to cut this off. I need to divorce her, put her away, but I don't want to embarrass her. Maybe I'll just do it privately and nobody will notice. The angel came to Joseph and said, look, Joseph, this child is conceived by the Holy Spirit. This, this, this child is God's chosen Messiah. So don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife. You go ahead, take her as your wife. When the child is born, here's what you name him. You name him Jesus. Jesus is the sort of the English way of saying the Greek word that was transliterating the Hebrew name, okay? 
Jesus is Joshua, Yeshua, which means Jehovah saves, God saves. And so, uh, uh, so the, the angel says, when the child is born, you'll name him Jesus, for he saved uh, his, pe his people from their sins. And that fulfills what Isaiah was saying when he said, a virgin will conceive, bear a child, and his name will be Emmanuel. So Emmanuel is fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And that's what we'll be looking at a little bit later on. So I uh, wanted you to have that in front of you so that uh, as we're reading uh, about the son of Remaliah, which is not a sauce for French fries, um, but, you know, he's a king, and Damascus is the capital city of Syria, and Ephraim is the capital of the, of the nation of, of Israel. So when you're seeing all those, just in your head, translate that, folks out to get King Ahaz. They're out to get Bob, okay? And uh, they're, they're at the city. So I hope that helps you understand. Let's start at verse 5. Read down through verse 17. It says, Because Syria with Ephraim and the son of Remaliah has devised evil against you, saying, Let us go up against Judah and terrify it, and let us conquer it for ourselves, and set up the son of Tabio uh, as king in the midst of it. Thus says the Lord God, It shall not stand. And it shall not come to pass. For the head of Syria is Damascus. The head of Damascus is Rezin. And within 65 years, Ephraim will be shattered from being a people. And the head of Ephraim is Samaria, and the head of Samaria is the son of Remaliah. If you are not firm in faith, you will not be firm at all. Again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz. He says, ask for a sign of the Lord your God. Let it be deep as shale or high as heaven. But Ahaz said, I will not ask and I will not put the Lord to the test. And then he said, Hear then, O house of David. Is it too little for you to weary men that you weary my God also? Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. He shall eat curds and honey when he knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good. For before the boy knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good, the land whose two kings you dread will be deserted. The Lord will bring upon you and upon your people and upon your father's house such days as have not come since the day that Ephraim departed from Judah. And these next words, I have no idea why they're there. The king of Assyria. Now, maybe you're a better scholar than I am. I don't know. But they're there. Theories on it, but it just ends that way. Okay. But Emmanuel, the promise of God. Let's bow for prayer. And gracious Father, we thank you for the meaning of this season. We celebrate the birth of Christ, a time filled with joy and gladness and celebration, a time in which uh, we look to the wonder of your grace in, in sending your Son to to take upon himself our condition, our estate, our humanity, our flesh, to walk and to dwell among us and then to die for us. But Father, we know that even in the joy of this season, there are those who are filled with sorrow, some with families that are separated by work or by assignment, others where there is a, an emptiness in the home, a, a, a grief and a sorrow, some where the dreams and aspirations of life have been disappointed, and the joy of this season seems to highlight the sorrows of life. But I ask that your Holy Spirit would be the great comforter, that you would bring to those who 
today are are living in lives that are, are in, in, in the darkness of sadness and depression. Father, that they would indeed see the hope of Emmanuel, and they would be drawn to you through him. And Father, that they would discover the joy that is ours because Christ is born. Father, give us the sensitivity and give to us the courage of faith to minister in your name, that we would share that joy of Emmanuel, and that we would proclaim to all the earth Christ is born, and because he's born, we have hope and a hope everlasting. Father, for your glory, we pray you would use us in Jesus' name. Amen. Pretty sure most of you, if not all of you, but I'm sure most of you have heard about something called SETI, S-E-T-I, the Search for Extraterrestrial Intelligence. If you don't know about it, this is a program that's been going on, um, well, officially the last 30, 40 years, but uh, it really dates back almost 100 years or better. Uh, where scientists have been trying to listen in and find out if there's intelligent life out there in the universe. Of course, we've been searching for intelligent life here on Earth for a long time, but that's another story. But the idea is that we're broadcasting radio waves all the time with our television, with our radio, uh, now with our cell phones, and, you know, and all those radio signals that are being shot out into outer space and they just go on forever and... Uh, maybe there's a, 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 a group of, of alien beings out there and they've been on their planet and they've been broadcasting too. And so if we would just listen for them, we might pick up another civilization. Exciting, no? And, it, I mean, like I say, this has been going on for, for over 100 years. In 1924, Mars was going to be as close to the Earth as it ever gets. And so radio stations, this will surprise you, in California decided that, well, we need to listen to see if the Martians are broadcasting. And so they decided for five minutes every hour, we're going to shut down all the radio stations and listen for Mars. And that's what they did. They didn't hear anything, but we've been listening ever since, and there are big radio telescopes and people are doing that. And, and a lot of scientists say, well, they, they must be out there. There are billions and billions of stars, and so uh, they, they're, they're, there must be intelligent life out there, and they must be broadcasting to us, and we can hear what they're saying. Of course, my thought is, if, they can hear, if we can hear what they're saying, they can hear what we're saying. They've been listening for us. Can you imagine? Out there in the planet somewhere, there's a, some people. Some people. And the guy runs up to his supervisors. Hey, Kolob, what is it? We're getting signals from Earth. Really? Can you understand them? Yes. They're sending us a message. Do you understand it? No. What are they saying? They're saying, Baby shark. <laughs> but if you're a scientist without God, and not all scientists are, but if you're a scientist without God, you can't stand the thought that we're alone in the universe. We just don't like the thought of being alone. A lot of us individually will do all kinds of nutty things just to not be alone. We'll marry the wrong person. We'll, we'll pal around with the wrong people. We'll engage in the wrong activities just to have somebody nearby because we don't want to be alone. 
And especially in times of crisis, in times of, of, a, of, of a deep and abiding need, like, like Ahaz had when the, the nations are attacking him and the armies are coming in, they surrounded the city. And what does he feel? He feels like he's all alone. And God says to him, Ahaz, you're not alone. And I'm going to give you a sign of that. I'm going to give you a child, and you're going to name him Emmanuel. And every time you see him, you're going to think, God is with us. And how that was fulfilled in Christ. The angel told Joseph, we mentioned a moment ago, name him Jesus, God saves, because that fulfills the meaning of Emmanuel, God is with us. Jesus was also known as son of David, the one who fulfilled the prophecy about the continuing throne of King David. He was also called the Lamb of God, takes away the sins of the world, fulfilling the the picture image of the sacrificial system, all of it prophetic and pointing to Jesus. On and on it goes. But he is our Emmanuel. Proof positive in the flesh that God is with us. And because Jesus is Emmanuel, it means that there's, there's no one who is outside of God's presence. Sometimes we feel like God is with certain other people because they're maybe better or maybe they're they're more righteous or more religious or, or there's something going on and we look at them and say, yeah, I can understand God is with that person. But with me, not so much. With me, not so much because... My life is in shambles sometimes. I make boneheaded moves. I do all kinds of silly things. There's no way God would be with me. But the answer is, Jesus Christ, our Emmanuel, God with us. He was born to just a nondescript family, would never have been noticed by secular history. He was born into a family that had traveled. They were on on the road. They'd gone to Bethlehem, no room in the inn, laid in the manger. You know the story. God went in and found shepherds, guys working the night shift, said, guys, you got to come see this. See, Jesus was born among the lowly, but he knew how to walk among the high and mighty as well. You know, when Nicodemus came to him, Nicodemus was a member of the Sanhedrin. He was... He was one of the, the rulers of, of, of Jerusalem. And he came to Jesus. And, and, and you know, Jesus wasn't tongue-tied. And, oh, wow, a celebrity's come to see me. Jesus started saying things to Nicodemus to excite the mind and, and just get his brain operating on a different level to understand something about a new birth that isn't a physical kind of thing, but it's a spiritual new birth. When he was in the presence of Pilate, he didn't cringe before the power of Rome. He stood there resolute. He just started pointing out the fact that, well, you know, you know, I've got this covered. I'm actually in control of all this. And you don't do anything unless, unless it's part of the Father's will anyway. He didn't shrink back from power. He knew how to confront power. The powerful religious leaders came out to him, the Pharisees. Jesus said things like, glad to see you guys. You do know you're hypocrites, don't you? So he knew how to confront the powerful and, had, and, and to be in the presence of the powerful, but he knew how to be present with the lowly and the weak, those were, who were hurting. That was, that was the purpose of the, of the miracles, to show the absolute magnificent love of God for those that society just sort of pushes to one side. He'd walk into a city, and on the outs, 
outer fringes of the city, there'd be a colony of lepers, you know, guys who'd gotten together and they were sort of pooling their resources in a community of suffering. And as he walks in, they would, they would say things like, you know, Jesus, have mercy on us. And he would go over and he'd talk to them and he'd touch them and he would heal them. Why? Because there's no one outside the presence of God in Christ Jesus. There's no one that he's given up on in Christ Jesus. He is our Emmanuel. You know, we, we, we take that, that name almost like, well, it's a beautiful name, and it is a beautiful name. For Christmas cards, no, for my life. And we overlook the, the impact and the power of that name. God with us. You know what that means? That means that Christ comes to us. You say, well, of course he comes to us. No, think about it. We did not bring him down. We did not ascend into heaven. We didn't appoint a committee to go up into heaven and say, God, you know, we think we got the salvation thing. Like, if you just loan us your son for a few days, we can handle it. And we've got a plan for that. And God said, wow, I had no idea what brilliant people you are. We did not bring Christ down. You do not bring Christ to your life. Christ comes to your life out of the depth of his love and grace and mercy for us because he is God with us. And that means that no life is without hope. No life is without hope. See, it's one thing to say Christ comes to us, you know, God is with us. But it's, it, it's even better than that. He is our hope with us. You know, suppose for a moment, and just a thought experiment, uh, but suppose for a moment you're drowning in the middle of a lake. I don't know why, but I mean, the illustration, I could have been drowning, but I thought it was better if you would be drowning in this illustration. <laughs> so you're drowning in the middle of a lake. And I get in my boat and I come out and I say, I'm with you. <laughs> yeah? Yeah, I'm with you. Well, I guess he's not coming up. Okay. There's no point being with you unless I save you. You see, the with us part is the salvation part of God's grace and mercy for us. Emmanuel means that there's hope for all of us, all, that, all, all whom he encountered. There's hope for us in Christ Jesus because the word became flesh, dwelt among us, that Jesus Christ came, took our sins upon himself. And so we, we have hope in the midst of despair because we know the despair is not the last word the glory of God is we have hope in the midst of setback and defeat because we know defeat is not the last word the victory of God is we have hope in the middle of a world that's just tearing itself apart and shattering itself but we have hope because Emmanuel will come and when he comes every eye will see him and proclaim this Emmanuel is Lord to the glory of God the Father we have hope in the presence of death because death has no power over us. The grave has no sting because God is with us. Christ has come. Because of that, we always have hope. That's Emmanuel. Because he's Emmanuel, we know the love of God. This is, this is an amazing thing. We take it for granted. You know, you, you, you'll talk, even, even your friends who barely believe in God, they, you know, they sort of believe in God and stuff, right? And, and you'll, you'll ask them to say, well, God loves everybody. 
God is love. God loves everybody. Do you know what it takes for God to love us? I mean, preeminently, God is about his own glory. And that's, that's not narcissistic. That's not saying God is you know, selfish and self-centered and all that. He is worthy of all glory and praise and honor. He is worthy. And so in his glory, in his righteousness, in his holiness, in the perfection of who God is, then he looks upon who we are. And the best of us on our best days are an offense to God's glory. And yet he loves us. You know, when, when everything's clicking and you're doing everything right, you feel like, wow, I'm, I'm hitting on all cylinders. We are still offensive to God and his, his glory and his righteousness because we sin. But God loved us so much that he sent his son Jesus to die for us. When he died on the cross, he took away that sin. He took away that offensiveness. He took away that, that part of us, that, that, that aspect of our being that is, that is absolutely just obnoxious to God. He took that. Jesus took that on himself. And all the righteousness and all the beauty and all the glory of who Jesus is, he put on us so that when we stand before God, we are clothed in the righteousness of Christ. You know, we, we could say we are clothed in the holiness of Christ. We are clothed in the perfection of Christ. And because we are with him, we enter into the presence of the Father through the Son by the power of the Holy Spirit. Emmanuel, God with us, means that is our hope. And it's a never-ending hope. It's, it's not a hope that anybody or anything can take away from us. And so, because we have hope in Christ, we have hope in life. We have hope for our loved ones. We have hope for our children. We have hope because Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. And we have purpose. We have purpose. Jesus came in order that the Father would be glorified. He came to do the will of the Father and to make manifest and known the will of God. And now Christ is God with us, the very glory, the very presence of God with us. And because of that, then in Christ Jesus, we know the purpose for our lives. The purpose of our lives is to give God the glory. That's why Emmanuel means that the best, most practical thing you can do with your life in every situation, in every circumstance, is to live for the glory of God. You've got that, don't you? And that's because he's Emmanuel. He is God with us. I hope right now you're just sort of feeling like, yeah. Man, I'm going to go look for Christmas cards. It's got Emmanuel <laughs> And I hope to do. But when Jesus comes into our lives as Emmanuel, God with us, that is no small thing. And what it really does when Jesus comes to us and he's Emmanuel, it puts our lives into a critical moment, what Billy Graham used to call the hour of decision. And that is that because Christ is born, he has come, he is Emmanuel. He is God with us. We've got to make a decision. Now, we can ignore him. Most of the world ignores him. Says little platitudes about him and just goes their own way and ignores him. Some of the world and a growing part of the world is hostile to him. 
and wants to repeat the, the attitude of Herod, the attitude of the religious leaders, let's kill him, let's, let's crucify him, let's get rid of him, take him off the scene. But beloved, I pray this morning that because you have sensed Emmanuel, God with us, that you will give your life to him. Put your faith in him and your trust in him. And let him be absolute Lord and master of all that you are and all that you do, all that you have. You see, to say Christ is Emmanuel puts us into a moment of crisis. And so my challenge to you, my, my plea with you, is that this week and every day of every week, you would just pause and remember, Jesus Christ is Emmanuel, God with us. And that is my hope, that is his grace, that is my purpose, to serve and to love him. Let's bow together in prayer. And Father in heaven, how thankful we are that you did not abandon us to what we deserved, but you came to us in your Son, Jesus Christ, to give us what we could never earn. Thankful that your grace is so magnificent and so broad that it includes all who will. And that, Father, your grace is so great that it saves the deepest, darkest, lowest sinner. So, Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit would work in us. Give us the courage of faith. Give us an excitement. Give us a boldness about living for Jesus so that, indeed, the whole world will know that Emmanuel has come and that God is with us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.